Hello, Dancewell listeners. This is co-host Ellie Kushner, and today I'm bringing you an amazing interview about spirituality. My guest here is Reverend Nafisa Sharif, who I met when we both sat on a panel about community wellness for the Dance NYC Symposium. Even across Zoom, I was taken by Reverend Nafisa's open, generous, kind, joyful, and insightful energy. We haven't delved into the dancer's spirit on Dancewell, but we know that it's an important part of a holistic perspective. So call it good fortune or divine intervention, but when Reverend Nafisa came into my circle, I knew she was the person I needed to interview. This conversation cut to my heart and we discussed a lot, so I've broken it into two parts. Today, you'll hear Reverend Nafisa describe spirituality, what it might look like or feel like, why it matters, and how it supports us personally and communally. Reverend Nafisa Sharif is an ordained interfaith minister, meditation master, and a consummate instructor and choreographer of traditional West African folklore from the Old Malayan Empire. Integrating the unique blend of her spiritual and cultural experiences, Reverend Nafisa Sharif founded Entering the Holy of Holies, an institute of learning and healing to teach people how to meditate, dance, and recreate their lives in love. Over the course of her illustrious 45-year dance career, Nafisa Sharif was the recipient of the 1996 Ethnic Dance Award and numerous community service commendations. She was the featured dance soloist on the Stevie Wonder Tour characters and was featured in a duet with T.C. Carson in his live production of Innocent Love. Additionally, Nafisa Sharif toured with CC Music Factory, the Chuck Davis Dance Company, and Kairaba West African Dance Company. She's also made numerous appearances dancing on TV and in music videos. For the past 17 years prior to the pandemic, Nafisa Sharif taught free, traditional West African dance classes at County Cullen Community Center in PS 194 for Harlem Children's Zone in Harlem, New York, where everyone was welcomed into her family of love. I think you're even going to feel the love across the airways. So sit back and enjoy this episode 96, Spirituality. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological development. And today you are in for treat. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Reverend Nafisa, thank you so much for doing this interview. And thank you again for inviting me. And uh, what what drew you to asking me? There were so many wonderful people on the, the panel. Yeah. Um... I I was raised without religion. My parents were both raised Catholic and my dad had a pretty negative experience in that environment. And my da- my mom had a pretty positive experience in that environment. And I was not raised in a religion, um, but in a family that valued, you know, nature and art. And, um, and I think growing up in the 90s, I really felt like I was seeing religion used to sort of catalyze hate in a lot of situations. Um, And so I got very like turned off um, to religion, but still wanted to like maintain some sense of spiritual connection to the universe. And, um, and as I, you know, started teaching more and more different populations and just broadening my life experience, um, 
I started to see how religion was serving um, specifically dancers in certain ways. And I started to get really curious about the role of spirituality. And um, to me, spirituality and, and art have a, have a strong tie. So I just became more and more interested in trying to understand that, but didn't necessarily have any um, resources for doing that and, or didn't know the resources to do that. And um, so when we were on that panel together, I thought about how we really try to look at 360 degrees of health and wellness on this podcast, and we haven't addressed spiritual health and spiritual well-being. Um, and it's you just came to me. The universe sent you to me. <laughs> so I'm so appreciative um, of you being willing to do this, this podcast, Reverend Nafisa. Well, thank you, Ellie. It's my complete pleasure. Um, I, I say to people, I never think I have anything to say until someone asks me a question, and then I have tons to say. <laughs> well, we're going to so be asking exactly you true. plenty of questions today. <laughs> um, that was very funny to me. Like, oh, she has questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really do. And I guess, um, I guess we can start with... Um, how do you describe spiritual wellness? And is that even the term you would use, spiritual wellness, or do you think of spiritual health? What what term do you use and how do you describe it? Um, two things. One, I I want to just comment a little bit about what you said earlier about yourself, that, um, you know, religion slash spirit is individual. And so in reference to your own mom and dad, you know, for one, they have a not so ex- wonderful experience and one has an extraordinary experience and so I think that's one of the things we have to hold into the forefront of our mind that this is not a um, we're all spiritual beings but this is not a one-stop shop and so it's going to be differently experienced by various people based on their introduction or their experience or even their transformation in their religious spiritual environment now your question is asking that question again. Sure. Um, how would you describe spiritual wellness? And also, is that even the term you want to use? Or do you think of um, spiritual health or just spiritual existence? Um, what term do you use and how do you define, how do you describe it? Yeah, so I, I don't use the term spiritual wellness or spiritual health. Um, that was interesting to see. Um, because I don't separate it so much like that, but of course the Eastern mindset of the spirit, mind and body, mm-hmm. the three different components of who we are in our totality. Um, of course, we give a lot of attention to our physical body and especially as dancers slash athletes, we give a tremendous amount of energy to what we look like physically, how strong or weak we are physically. We don't give so much attention to our emotional, mental well-being and perhaps spiritual wellness or well-being is last on the totem pole. And yet in these last many years, especially throughout the coronavirus, when we were home quarantined and nowhere to go, many people did dive deeper into their spiritual relationship, whatever that is, in order to just survive and sustain themselves and not go crazy being isolated 
and quarantined alone for many people or even home with everybody. <laughs> the cat, the dog, the children, the spouse, um, grandma, grandpa. So uh, I think the first thing I would say is there has to be an understanding that in fact, we are spiritual beings. Some people don't believe that we are. They only focus on the physical, maybe the mental, but not the spiritual. And the spiritual by essence, by, de by design is who we are. So if we take away the spiritual essence of the body, we're dead. Mm -hmm. So the spiritu, life force, essence, spirit, all those reference the essence of who we are and also references the greater aspect of who we are, the part of us that is greater than us, that we don't know all those answers. There's a lot about the physical body or the mental body that we can determine, but not the spiritual body. So we're learning more about the many dimensions and the other worlds and alternate realities, and even Star Trek and some of the <laughs> wars and, and you know, I'm not a big Trekkie, but my family, some of my family members are. So just watching them avidly eat up all the different Star Trek um, uh, programs that come one behind the other. But speaking about the spiritual realm, even though it's through a technical scientific perspective, because these are clearly people in a spaceship going out into the world to discover the world. And from a spiritual perspective, that's what we do without going anywhere. We don't need a ship. That's what meditation is for. Meditation is our spiritual ship. It's how we go and discover the world where no one or no man or woman has been before by going deep. So I think the spiritual wellness, first, we must acknowledge that it in fact exists, that we are a spiritual, essential life force being. And then some kind of commitment to it that says in the same way as you go to the gym or you take dance classes or you do something athletic to keep your physical body strong you must commit to your spiritual well-being to keep your spirit strong and there are many 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 ways to do that but those are the two things i would say up front that uh, would contribute to spiritual wellness one, acknowledging that, in fact, you are a spiritual being. And two, feeding it in the same way as you would feed and nurture and nourish your physical body or your mental body. You must mental, uh, nourish and nurture your spiritual body. I love that. And we'll get into some of the ways that we might nourish it. Um, I want to also ask about that um, relationship that I set up at the beginning, which is between um, re religiousness or religiosity and spirituality. Um, what is the relationship between religion and spirituality? Yeah, so one is exoteric religion and one is esoteric spirit. So the exoteric are all the external things that we do, pray five times a day in Islam, go to church and say three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers in Christianity, or whatever you're led to do or guided to do at a 
physical level to the I'll say the rules and regulations of the religion. That's the esoteric. <laughs> and then the esoteric, which is the more mystical mystical side, the metaphysical side is the beingness. Both are equal sides to the same coin. One tells you about it, one allows you to experience it. And so the esoteric is more that deeper feeling that you have when you are in rapture with the divine, with love, with whatever name you want to call God, but that it's not about what you think or what you've read or how many times you did something. It's about a state of being. And so we need both, especially as human beings, because like this, we use communication, we use language to communicate, we think. And so we're going to read, we're going to write, we're going to learn, but we also want to be. And I think that's the beingness is catching up with the thinking that for some people, even in our world, look at the state of our world. We've overthought so many things. Mm -hmm. We've taken so many things out of their natural environment and not for the better or the best or the worst. And we are suffering from that and it's causing us to come back to this place of community, unity, spirituality, and mostly harmony, harmony with ourselves, other nature to bring balance back to the world. So we don't see that yet in a, a real way in a, in a global scale yet, but it is happening definitely at a grassroots um, level. And again, we started to see a lot of that in 2020 because why we were home, there was nowhere to go. So people watched it. They watched it, they thought about it, they contemplated it, they made decisions around it. It's a work in progress right now. It's a work in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you say that we need both the exoteric and the esoteric, does that mean that we need religion or can somebody be in a good spiritual place without being in religion? Oh, sure. Um, you know, we forget, Ellie, that organized religion is relatively new. Mm-hmm. And that before everything was organized, we lived in harmony. Our ancestors lived in harmony with nature. They paid attention to the cycles of the sun and the moon. They paid attention to the plants and the herbs that grew, what were dangerous, what were healthy, what will heal, what would destroy. And they lived in harmony, especially with fire and water. A lot of their ceremonies or their their civilizations and villages were around where they could sustain themselves. So as we moved into a more sophisticated uh, technological industrial environment, we forgot about nature, political. But before even the political so much, it's moving away from saying hello to the earth, being grateful to the earth facing the sun you know in yoga we do the sun salutation when you think about it every morning people in india in parts of africa facing the sun and saluting the sun because the sun gave them everything so it's not just yoga poses 12 different asanas or postures in in this that we do facing the sun it is so much more than that 
but when we moved away from that, then we started to see everything kind of just fall apart um, as it is now. That's such a clear example too when you think about the exoteric and the esoteric like when your yoga practice becomes like you said about like doing these moves and getting this alignment and whatever you're it's overly exoteric and can distract you from the esoteric um i think you've sort of described it that you know spiritual health or spirituality for someone who isn't connected to an organized religion might look something like that like um finding those appreciations in, in daily life or stuff like that. Is that, would you say that? Not only that, but I think the bigger, the bigger part of someone who is not following someone else's laws and rules is that they're following their own. And so you have people who are much more intuitive and they'll say things like, Oh, that small voice inside me, you don't have a little birdie, but you do have a feeling. Mm -hmm. The more you pay attention to that feeling and you see the outcome and the benefit of paying attention to the feeling that it really is guiding you like this, what we talked about earlier. Who knew at the dance symposium that we would be invited to the exact same panel? And from there, we're here. But that's happening every day, all day long, whether we're conscious of it or not. And so people who are in my opinion, again, it's my opinion, people who are more spiritual and I won't say less religious. I don't want to say that. I just want to say that they function more from their spirit. They're functioning more from their own intuition. So they've learned to listen and to be guided by whether it is that big booming voice in the sky that we call God or that small voice inside our heart that says, don't do this. Go here. Call that person. Don't call Take the umbrella. It's going to rain. But of course, it's sunny, so we don't take it. And of course, we get wet because it rained later on in the day. So yeah, or I we, think. Or we look at our phone and we say, it doesn't say it's going to rain, even <laughs> exactly. though all our intuition is going, there's a big gray cloud up there. <laughs> okay, so now, see, you're answering my question there, Ellie, because here we are. Technolo- technology says one thing, but God is saying another. And so we're having this conflict with ourselves, many people, not everybody. When you learn to really use both in balance and harmony, that's the, that's the goal. That this is where we are in the 21st century. We have all this wonderful technology available to us. How are we using it? And in my opinion, it, it should be used in harmony with your spirituality, with your intuition, so that you know best how to serve humanity and how to serve yourself. Mm. I, I so appreciate that. And you could extend that it's technology, it's science, it's all these things. We don't have to, yeah, we can't pretend we're not where we're at. We can't just cast aside all these things that have emerged. And yet we have to find a way to integrate them with harmoniously. That's so helpful to hear. And you know, on that same note, Ellie, that Everything, even science, it already exists. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at what's been created from seedlings to rocket ships, the science is already there. It's us in our humanness and our evolution is catching up to what is already there. And that's the part about the human being that can get a little and sometimes a lot caught up. The ego says 
yes, I created this. I discovered it. It's my patent. Mm. But where did that creation come from? Where did that thought come from? Where did that knowledge come from? And so that's the part that, back to your very first question about spirit, that first even acknowledging there is a source, a force, a consciousness greater than yourself that already exists, that we are part of. And in our humanness, we are unfolding, unpacking, unlayering all of what's between us and that pure consciousness. And the people who have a direct line to it they're the ones who we call the great beings because they see or they know or can do something that we can't yet. And the, the operative word is yet because for me, I believe evolution is pushing us all into being the Buddha, the Christ, the great being. It's not just the, the ones who were able to come in and shift humanity and consciousness during their time, but that they're doing it so we all can live in that place all the time. So it's not a specialty or a rarity. It's the way to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's already in there. I like to say it's like ragu. You know, you stir the pot and all the flavoring, the seasons come up from the bottom. And, but we have to stir the pot. So uh-huh. you're stirring the pot. So you're an interface. Inter- so you're an interfaith minister. Um, familiar with many different religious practices, would you say that there's a consistency in terms of what defines spirituality across religions? So I would say in the in the, in the uh, seminary that I went to, the very first book that we read it was an interfaith seminary. Was the the wisdoms of the world, the religions of the world, the religions of the world. And so the very first thing the teachers were doing was showing us the commonalities in these different religions. And so again, back to the esoteric, what is most common amongst many religions, I won't say all, but many religions is this oneness with God, this desire to reach this oneness with God, to know ourselves in our humanness, in oneness with God. And God can be easily translated as pure love or unconditional love. Not so much in a religious phrase or term, but in a spiritual context. We really reach that place of love. So that being said, the virtues, a virtuous life is almost always what's taught about and how to acquire a virtuous life, to live a virtuous life. The difficulty is that we're not so virtuous. And so we have to really constantly challenge ourselves, our judgments, our criticisms, not only of ourselves, but each other. And then religions do that as well. And not all, certainly, but there are enough religions that if you're not chosen, if you're not, you're not this religion, you're not going to heaven, if you don't do these things, God will condemn you, will kill you, will burn in the fire. So the, all of that conversation that controls and separates equally exists in religions. Because why? These religious institutions are made of people. Mm-hmm. And so until the leaders, it's no different than the political and social 
leaders, social justice leaders that we're looking at now, the same with the religious leaders. We all have to do our own work. And we don't even know what the work is until we're faced with it. And what is our response, not our reaction, but our response to something or someone who's different than us. So what we are constantly unpacking as human beings are the belief systems that we grew up with. What did we see? What did we learn? What did we hear? What did we not see? What did we not hear? What did we not learn? And then you're put in an environment where, like you, in a dance company, all of a sudden there are people from every part of the world in your company, but you're not familiar with them, or you're not familiar with their culture. And it brings up fear in you as opposed to curiosity and an openness. So again, this is the difference of someone who, whose mindset is a little more closed based on their indoctrination and someone who lives a more spiritual, open life that sees God in everyone and everything. So it doesn't matter what you look like or where you come from or what your sexual orientation is because you see God in that person, period, or they would not exist. So it's a very different mindset and, and not all interfaith ministers think as I do, not all religions think and say as I do, and not all people think and say as I do, but it is the journey. So I can say that it's a, a journey that, what's the phrase? Uh, uh, um, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Now, mm -hmm. zoo, right? And so we take a single step every day. And every day we're met with ourselves. And if we can see ourselves in each other with kindness, with grace, with love, <clears throat> then we have a beautiful relationship or even a beautiful moment. And if we don't, then you see the contention. And, and this is very interesting, Ellie, because as an individual, if you don't pause to translate and to say to yourself, honestly, with blatant honesty, that I don't like that person, or I just judge that person, or I can't stand with that person, you won't shift. Mm -hmm. You have to see it. And so you asked me earlier about spiritual wellness. In the beginning, like most things, like in dance class, you just go by rote. You just learn the steps. But that at some point, it becomes a part of you, an extension of you. And you start to live in what we call the witness state. So you really do see yourself. You see when you're not being so kind. You see when you're judging someone else. You see it. And if you have the spiritual wellness and strength that you referenced earlier, you can change it. You may not be able to change that exact moment because that moment is gone. But the next person who comes up, your reaction or your response will be different because now you're aware of it. So the key really is awareness. I know you're asking me about different religions and and again, I can't speak to every single religion. I'm doing an overview that all institutions, regardless of whether they're religious, spiritual, political, are comprised of people. And it's the people and the individual person. You have to want to live a virtuous life. That's the first you have to want to. And then you have to be willing to do the work, to really look and see, well, when am I not so kind? 
So I'm going to tell on myself one day. This was years ago. I said to God, okay, God, today I want to live in compassion. I want my heart to just be open. And boy, did I have opportunity after very difficult opportunity <laughs> to keep my heart Grow open. Grow your passion. Grow my compassion. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I just started laughing. I said, okay, you have a sense of humor. But it was wonderful that first I asked for it to... And it wasn't all bad, of course, it just, or challenging, I don't want to call it bad, challenging. It was that I could see it. Mm-hmm. You were shown. That I was shown my shortcomings, exactly, my blind side. And then I could fix it. And that's what made it joyful, as opposed to beating myself up and chastising myself and criticizing myself. And that's where some institutions hurt people, that more than encourage people or help them to see the light in their action, there is condemnation and there's destruction of the ego or the self, the self-worth, I'm going to say. So a very different way of um, almost like punishment as opposed to understanding and understanding that this is the way. You're not just going to walk up and be virtuous, unless you are. Very few beings are born just living in love and loving everybody all the time. Most of us come from somewhere. We have a story. And the story sometimes is complicated. (laughs) Complicated. There you go. Complicated. And then we unfold that story as we live our lives. I, I'm here. There's so much in what you just said that is, I'm very much at risk of rambling here. Um, the first thing you said, you know, that I want to talk about is, or just comment on, um, you said how we're heading back. You feel like we've gone so far and we're, we are, you feel bit by bit making our way back to this connecting to the spiritualness. And I think, I mean, here in the U.S., like, it's been such a tumultuous five years, as many other places in the world live regularly. Um, And I think we were really faced with what you're saying, which is, like, the system is made up of people, and imperfect people make imperfect systems. And I know for myself, like, when times have been really bad in the past five years, I've had to, like kind of zoom in to the local level like you know I'm living in peace and harmony with my neighbors I feel good about you know these particular things that are really close to home how can I stay focused on that which is closest to me out of sort of desperation because what was far away was so scary and I couldn't change it um and I was reminded of like this is the space that I can affect me, myself, my immediate relationships. And I just have to have faith that if I make those strong, it will impact the world in a positive direction. Um, so that was one thing that, that you, I'm hearing you say, or that's connecting for me. And I also... I also hear that you talked about how um, 
God ultimately at the spiritual place is, you know, pure love. And you also talked about sort of self-compassion and having an a joyful attitude about our flaws, or I would say maybe a playful attitude about our flaws. And that's something that really makes me think about dancers because um, I know I work a lot with the dance, with the dance population that I work with. I've been working a lot on trying to find that playfulness and that self-compassion because the exoteric component, the rules are, can be so harsh. Um, and some of the students that I teach maybe even come from a lit religious backgrounds that have really harsh rules, like you're describing, you know, students who are homosexual, who are raised believing that that's bad or wrong or a sin, you know, and, and how do we reconcile ourselves in those really harsh, um, exoteric environments so where is there a question in this I'm not sure (laughs) um (laughs) I guess I would just say like yeah how do you you talked about that you confessed that story about yourself how do you support others who are maybe um having a hard time finding that like pure love that self-compassion um in in their spiritual or religious identities uh thank you ellie uh you you do have a lot to say there which is wonderful um i'm i'm loving that that this conversation is is so engaging for you as well but i do want to first go back to what you said about being really present with yourself i'm going to say your family and close neighbors Partly because we were quarantined in 2020. We couldn't go out. We couldn't go far distances. We couldn't travel. We weren't distracted. And so I, I feel like the universe slowed us down so we could really see, hear, and feel what is important to us and what is not. So there are more people I've heard who were married for 30 plus years who got divorced. Other people were. I'm getting, let's get married because there's nothing to wait for, especially seeing so much death, um, especially early on in the pandemic and throughout the last couple of years. Although we know tomorrow is not promised, it became even a greater reality that tomorrow is not promised and we must live for today. That being said, Ellie, all you can do is be who you are. And that's for any of us. You know, I wear white all the time, and I said this in the symposium. So it can be a great, it is a great attractor, and especially to people who are most marginalized. So people often come up to me and ask me, Miss, can I ask you a question? And I know where it's going to lead. I may not know the question, but they want to know something about spirit or God. Now, I can read, rebuff them and rebuke them and just keep moving. Often they are people who have addictions to some substance or another. Or I can pause and look in their eyes and and talk to them like a human being. And 99 times out of 10, out of 100, I go go straight to their heart. If only for 30 seconds, however long it takes to get on the bus or the train or from one stop to the next, 
because they feel recognized. They feel like they've been seen, they've been heard. And this is true. The other day I was on the train and I, uh, uh, an older man was really having a conversation with himself and he was really, really into his, his conversation, out loud conversation. And we both got up to get off the train and um, he looked at me and for a hot second, he said, God bless you, miss. And I looked at him and I said, God bless you too. And he smiled and he went right back into his out loud conversation. And it moved my heart so deeply that I had come to a place where I wasn't afraid of him. I was able to look at him, embrace him, see God within him in that moment. Another moment, everyone's not that lucid, even for those 30 seconds, and it can be dangerous to get too close. And so I was just grateful in that moment. And that's the journey that in every moment you're given an opportunity, we're given an opportunity to see God. And so um, I think the celebrity life, the grandeur of life, we want that. We want to serve millions of people and thousands of people, but maybe that's not our journey. Maybe for us, it's what I just said. It's serving one person at a time, one neighbor at a time, simply being true to yourself because God is really calling all the shots here. In and of ourselves, we would not put ourselves in quarantine and have suffered through the coronavirus. We would not. But the universe, God, divine design said we needed to slow down and to pause and to really look at what we're doing, what we're not doing, and make some real changes. Yeah, you're really touching my heart, Reverend. <laughs> um, and I think the, yeah, it's been a challenge now as life picks up to figure out how we take those lessons and not just rush back to the old way. I want to say too, you had asked me something about joy, I think, especially in dance, and I wanted, I didn't comment on that, but to say how important joy is and to really discover for yourself what it is that makes you happy, including something so simple as go hug a tree, which I tell people to do all the My time. My husband's a big tree hugger. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. literal tree hugger. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, the little things that don't cost money and you can either do alone or with a few people like your family, but bring joy to you. You know, you can definitely serve in any capacity, in a hospital or soup kitchen or homeless shelter or anywhere. You know, you can do service, but you can also just show up and see people and be able to just see God everywhere. Um, and then let your joy spill out. Like you don't have to be saying or doing anything. So there's so many times just, I say hello to everybody. Everybody doesn't say hello back, but it's always great when someone says hello to me first before I get it out my mouth. <laughs> you know, they see what I'm feeling. And so I just wanted to say that too, that we often think that joy comes from what we do or who we do it with. And yes, to a degree that is true, 
But again, back to the, the quarantine, when we did not have those people or those things or those resources or money, how did we sustain our joy? I mean, how did we sustain our joy? And for those of us who found ways to do that, we were able to move through the quarantine with a little more grace than maybe someone else who was just suffering being isolated and alone. And uh, I think dance, you know, that brings me to this question of how can dance help to support our spirituality, right? Um, yeah, is that is that one of the ways that you see dance um, supporting spirituality is through that finding joy? Absolutely. I would like to say, you know, as professional dancers, back to the, that doggone exoteric, there are all the rules and regulations of what the dancer body is supposed to look like and how you're supposed to move and how this and how that. Um, but when you're at a street festival mm-hmm. and music is playing and people are just <laughs> dancing in the street, there's no training. <laughs> Some people are on rhythm, some are off the rhythm, or everybody's doing the electric slide or uh, whatever it is that the that's a group effort. People are off rhythm, on rhythm, moving in the same direction, moving against the flow, but they're having a good time because they're not thinking about it. And certainly any dancer or any human being, any person, who decides to be a professional dancer that I hope and pray that wherever they are, that they're in an environment, a community, a company that nurtures them and nourishes them and sees them in their wholeness, not just what their physical body can do, but reminds them of their spiritual body to nurture that relationship with the universe and mentally, and emotionally give them opportunity to express how are they feeling. Almost no one wants to know how you feel because it might bring up how you're feeling and you may not want to talk about how you're feeling. But especially again, back to the coronavirus, a lot of attention has been placed on our mental health and wellness. Why? Because we've seen so much suicide, especially amongst teenagers. So. It is so important that the individual be strong enough to know this company is not nurturing to me. This company does not nurture or nourish my talents or even my mind or opportunities and it's time to go. But we don't necessarily leave that environment because we so want to be in that mm-hmm. company. Maybe they'll mm-hmm. tell me maybe tomorrow or next year will be different. And so I, I hope that anyone who's listening, that they just be true to themselves. I say it all the time. I love two quotes from William Shakespeare. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first is, the choices you make dictate the life you lead. And the second is, to thine own self be true. So being honest with yourself that's the first thing being blatantly honest with how do you feel about anything what do you want what do you not want and then once you know what your truth is 
finding the courage because it might mean moving away from your religion or religious institution that you grew up in or your family or the company or your marriage or your job. You know, there's a beautiful Buddhist saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So quite often people come, whether to my workshop or to private sessions, just to be inspired and encouraged or to get past the fear or to figure out what the block is so that they can just be happy and live the life that they really dream. Okay. With that, I'm going to take a pause, a little intermission, and we'll be back with Reverend Nafisa Sharif in episode 97, and we'll discuss more about how to grow your spirituality, particularly using meditation. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about our podcast by visiting www.dancewellpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.